Hi, everybody. Welcome back. And I am just delighted to be here. I created the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation in order to mentor and enable high-level, high-potential women to rise to meet their dreams. Why did we do that? Because when I came to this country 46 years ago, I never had a mentor. And all throughout my career, early as a lawyer, and then in business, in entrepreneurial businesses, and even as a board director, I walked the road less traveled and never had a mentor. And so I wanted to be sure that women like me who walked the road less traveled would have a mentoring organization which would help them reach their dreams. And that's exactly what we do at the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. So Today, you're going to learn a lot about executive search and also about private equity. So let's go straight to it. Private equity. What, Kirsten, does a private equity investor do? Well, thank you, Lorraine, and it's great to be here. Um, in general, what a private equity investor does is uh, invest in private companies. Now, I am an operator, and so what I do when I go into a company is I take a look at it with a fresh set of eyes. And I see things that people who've been in the business day to day for years and years may miss. And I come up with an analytical framework that can help drive business results. And then sometimes I take intro management roles. Other times I partner with the existing leadership teams to help drive the results. And through that, the companies grow. So private equity, what does it mean private equity? Why is it not just equity? Explain a little bit more about the role that a private equity investor actually takes in a company. Sure. So essentially, private equity means it's not public. It's not a publicly traded company. These are privately owned companies. And investors come and they invest in these companies. Now, there's all sorts of different ranges of private equity. It could be venture capital. It could be growth equity. It could be buyouts. Different firms have different uh, areas that they focus on. Uh, but in general, it's just a way to invest in companies that are not public. So Kirsten, you have taken the road race traveled and we're going to come back to you because I want to get Sally into this discussion because she's another leader who has taken the road less traveled. So Sally, you come from the UK and I believe you started your career in a very different area from executive search. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so it's lovely to be here and thank you for asking me to be here. So my I uh, was a successful media and entertainment lawyer back in London and I transitioned into executive search about 18 years ago as I saw the opportunity to really make a difference for companies with the people that they, they look for. And psychology, business psychology, making a difference to a company is what executive search does. That's fantastic. So do you have to have been an executive in a company in order to become an executive search consultant? And I'm, tell us a little bit about your executive role. Well, the, as a media and entertainment lawyer, I was working for a big uh, broadcaster in the UK and then a, a producer for the UK in the UK. Um, and I really saw the other side transitioning into executive search. You don't have to have come from an operational role, but it really, really helps to see what good looks like. And it, so that's what I was able to do, go from media and entertainment. And now I, I run the consumer digital and media uh, division for Odgers Bernstein. 
So Sally, that industry, those industries are changing and morphing all the time. What has been your experience in seeing this dramatic change that's happened, certainly in the media and consumer products with COVID? Well, consumers have changed immensely. And as we've seen in just the last nine, nine months, consumers consume differently. So the role for an executive search consultant like me is to really understand what the business needs to in increase their revenues, but also more importantly, get the right people within the company that will flourish in that environment. And every company is different. Now, amazing uh, talent that you can actually bring to the table. So Kirsten, I know that you had a lot of operating experience and that's why private equity investors trust you as an operator. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point in your career? I'd love to, Lorraine. You know, I've, I've been very lucky. I've worked very hard. And um, I spent about 10 years uh, working in supply chain and became a real expert in that field. And from an early age, I then became an executive at a Fortune 100 company. And that gave me the visibility to really get known in the industry as a supply chain expert. And so the, so the two kind of worked together. I had to work very hard, become an expert, and then get that visibility. I was speaking at conferences. I was publishing articles. And from there, I made a leap. And I went into venture capital. And I just started seizing up opportunities. I, I was asked to become CEO or I threw my own hat in the ring and said, I'd like to be CEO of one of our portfolio companies. And so I did that. Uh, and then I went over and joined a private equity fund where I had the opportunity to do everything from the COO of a cybersecurity company to run supply chain for a restaurant group to run operations at a yoga mat company. Uh, so it's just been such a fun journey. And this is truly what I love about private equity is the diversity that it provides. You know what I love about both of you is that you both started somewhere completely different from where you ended up, which is absolutely incredibly inspiring because for many in our audience, both men and women, what you study in college and what you start off in your first job is not necessarily going to be where you end up. So that's, I think, very inspirational itself. So Sally, you've had a sort of double kind of experience because you've come from another country. And tell me a little bit about that. And I'm sure those in your audience, and I know we have a lot of folks who have come from other parts of the world who are listening to this. How has that adjustment been? That's a really interesting question. And I arrived uh, from London 10 years ago, and I thought that we spoke the same language. I mean, we speak English here in, in Los Angeles, but I was very wrong. And it took me a while to really understand the cultural nuances. Now, pushing that forward, now I feel very comfortable and work with a lot of clients who come in from outside of, of the US to really find the right cultural, cultural match. So I think it's turned into a massive plus for me because I really understand what the business sense is, what the cultural nuances are, and, and what the business needs to succeed and flourish. So Sally, if if I'm a company, I know that hiring you and Odgers Bernstein is going to help me find the right candidate. But what if I'm a candidate? Is Is that the kind of person you would speak to as well? Do you do both? Well, as executive search consultant, we are retained by the company. So the company is our client. However, saying that, it's our job to really understand the best-in-class candidates. Now, if you are a candidate and you want to get noticed, you can write, write to me, email me. But I would say, as a word of advice, because we get so many um, emails, differentiate yourself. 
do your homework, address it to the right person. Tell me a little bit about you because it's all about relationships. I need to get to know the candidate in order to know where you need to be placed and what your motivations are. So I would say that. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And certainly, I know, Kirsten, you have been very often the only woman in the room. And talk a little bit about that. And do you think that private equity is an opportunity for women executives or women operators? Because there are not a lot of women in PE. You're right. There are not a lot of women in PE. And I think there is a tremendous opportunity. So Sally just talked about her business being all about relationships. I find that in private equity, one of the things that really makes me successful is I am able to form relationships with the executives who I work with uh, at these portfolio companies. Often private equity gets a bad rap for being the slash and burn, take no prisoners, and people are afraid. Uh, and you know, a private equity firm comes in and an operator comes in and they don't know what to do. And so by being able to build relationships and establish this rapport, I'm able to actually learn more information than my colleagues and use that information to make better business decisions. So I think that the ability to form relationships, which many women can do more naturally than men, uh, gives, gives us a, a competitive advantage in the industry. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that's that's pretty insightful. So um, I know we have a lot of questions coming into LinkedIn, and I, I'm going to ask our producer if he has any that he wants to put up for us. Just go right ahead. Oh, we have one coming in right now, and it is going to be interesting to see who is watching our show. Here we go. We have Linda Loray, uh, who is asking both of you, can you tell us about business relationship building? Ah, okay, Sally, let's go to you first, because you were talking about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as Kirsten said, the relationship between the candidate and myself and myself and the company is absolutely key. So for me, my role is, is uh, done well when I get the right candidate in the right environment. And I always focus on people's motivations and where they want to get to their career. So I would say the business relationship is, is everything. But Sally, how do you do that now? I mean, you can't leave your home. You, you've got your homeschooling kids as well as running a, a huge business and very influential in your industry. How are you doing the relationship creation and building during this pandemic? Uh, there's two, two parts of that question. Ironically, the Zoom, I mean, everyone's got Zoom burnout, but I would say that Zoom's really afforded, when I interview a candidate, everyone's much more real and authentic now because you can't, you can't solve for your kids walking in or your animal barking or meowing. You, you, it's much more natural and transparent. So you actually get to understand the candidate more um, and, you, and it's actually better to do it like that. Yeah, interesting. I think a lot of people are certainly suffering, but there are some silver linings here. So Kirsten, you are also in a business that you were traveling all the time. How are you coping with this pandemic impact? I'm, I'm still traveling somewhat. And, and going to the original question about relationship building, uh, one of the superpowers I have is I can speak foreign languages. So I speak five languages and I can learn new languages very quickly. And how Sally mentioned when she came to the United States and she thought everyone spoke English and then learned that there's actually variations in English uh, and it's a different language. What I find when I go into different portfolio companies is each company culture has its own language. And so by listening, actively listening and learning and mimicking the, the um, 
phrases that they use and the, the types of um, words that they say that's different, the metrics they use that's different. By, by learning that and listening intently and mirroring it, I'm able to build relationships much more quickly. So I was traveling, you're right, every week, and now it's down to about once a month. Um, but I'm still using those listening skills to build relationships. No, that's great. You know, uh, it's. I always believe that you have to speak in the language of the receiver of the information because that's how people can hear you. Uh, our producer tells me we have another question coming in, so feel free to put it up there. Let's see who is asking a question now. And there we go, Marjorie DeHay. Thanks so much, Marjorie. Can you discuss ways to improve visibility in the COVID world or innovative ways to network now? Oh, this is a great question, Marjorie, because both of these ladies have an answer. Kirsten, I'm going to go to you first and then to Sally. Yeah, I mean, I think this is such a great opportunity to improve visibility. In fact, better than, than in normal day to day. Um, and, and it's through mechanisms like this, uh, Zoom panels and um, uh, article publishing and um, in terms of networking, there's so many networks and they're all now online and it's it's fairly easy to, to join them and to really get your name out there. So those are the top three ways that I would recommend improving visibility during COVID. Yeah, and Sally, you have a bunch too. Tell us what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, pre-COVID, I used to put on uh, roundtable discussions once every three months for exactly this way, Marjorie. And I'm lucky to have known Marjorie for many years now. And I think we met through a networking event. But now we just do it on, on online, on a Zoom. And I still manage to, to make a lot of events online. And it's not the same, admittedly, but it's it's good. It's it's a start, and we still need to do that. And and as women, we need to take the time to network like that, even though it's online. No, there's another question. We got a lot. And by the way, to the audience, if we don't get your question, please forgive us. But come back at the next show, and we'll try and get you in that time. Okay, let's put up the next question, and that's Judy Schrecker. Kirsten, can you explain the difference between private equity and venture capital? I love that question, Judy. That's just what Kirsten mentioned earlier. And thanks for reminding me to come back to it. Yes. Tell me the answer. Now, it has to do with the stage of the company. So venture capital invests in earlier stage companies, private equity. Um, well, it's all private equity, but but the traditional private equity, when I say that, what people think about is on later stage companies, so more buyouts. Um, and so generally, and then there's a middle section called growth equity. So if you think of this spectrum, you have your seed angel investing, your venture capital, your growth equity, and then your buyouts and, and private equity over at the other end. So generally more mature businesses. Yeah, that's great. Sally, how do you make the best of um, an executive search consultant? If, if I'm a company and I'm going to hire Otis Bernstein, how would I make the best use of your services? Well, we're very bespoke. And I know a lot of people ask me um, what's happening now because a lot of in-house companies are taking in-house recruitment. So a lot of companies are using and building their in-house capability. It's not the same, and I'm not just saying that because I'm an executive search consultant, because the feedback that we get is that you disappear into a black hole. Using someone like me with companies is, is a bespoke uh, service. We target the best-in-class individuals. We build the relationships. We add the assessment. We add the relationship side. And, and it, it's just a very, very different bespoke service to our in-house, you know, who can come, go and speak to you, but it's just we are the middle woman. 
can't say middleman, we're the middlewoman that work with the company and with the candidates. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So Sally, we read a lot about downsizing, about companies resizing, reskilling. Give us a few words on what you see in the reskilling area with talent management. It, it depends what area you're in. Some of my clients um, are consumer digital, they are gaming companies. So of course they are very, very, very lucky that they are booming at the moment. Um, reskilling, I think it's a time, and I think COVID had, has afforded everybody a time to really stand back and, and reflect. There's opportunities out there, it's just pivoting. And in, in Kirsten's world, you know, private equity, you have to be nimble and pivot and react to consumer needs. It's exactly the same in my world as well. You just have to be very realistic about what you can do. And, and I help people with that. I help candidates who are at a bit of a crossroads and work out what they can do. Yeah, that's what a great service you provide, Sally. I love that. I mean, it's almost like a trusted advisory service that you're holding their hand all the way through the process and on the company side too. So there's another question which is coming in, the Fast and Furious. Let's uh, see. Oh, from James. I know who he is. Uh, and that's my son. And I'm so glad that he was watching the show because I do tell him that he should do that. And now he did. Any tips on interviewing? He's running a very successful company, which is his fourth company. I'm his mom. I have to say that. And uh, he wants to know any tips on interviewing both sides of the table in a Zoom only world where you're not meeting candidates in person. Go for it, Sally. And then I know, Kirsten, you're also interviewing people as you go into these uh, companies. So go ahead, Sally. So Zoom interviews, yes, they're not the same as in person, but I still think you can ask the same questions, see the reaction. As long as you're seeing their, their um, reactions and their face, one of my clients actually got to a point where they loved the, the candidate and they had a, a dinner over Zoom. It can, it can be done, not the same in person, but they managed that to have a meal and just talk about non-work things to get to know the candidate and the candidate gets to know the company better. Interesting. And what about you, Kirsten? Have you had some tips for James and others who are hiring? Yeah, I, I agree with Sally and, and also to what she said earlier about you can sometimes see how people are more authentic in the Zoom environments. Uh, so you can get a better sense of, of who they are. Um, it's not as, I don't think it's as good as in person, uh, but there are some some advantages in that uh, you can see how they deal what, when the neighbor across the street's playing the drums or when the cat meows in a weird way or something like that, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There, there certainly is a much more intimate look at uh, people's dealing with stress. Um, we have another question, which uh, which I'd love to see what this one says. Okay. Ah, Justin in Chicago. Do different PE groups focus on different industries? And Kirsten, just give us a few beats on that, some of those industries and different PE groups. So yes is the answer. Different, different PE funds focus on different industries. Uh, some of them focus on industrials. Others focus on consumer goods, and some don't have a focus at all, uh, which is really interesting because then you can do anything. Um, I think that that's one of the really cool things about private equity is every every private company needs equity, um, or many of them do at least, and so as a result, the the universe is so diverse that it, it really makes it fun to work in it. So. Um Sally, do you work with private companies or are all of them public companies? 
No, absolutely. I work across across private and public companies. Obviously, with the private companies, to what Kirsten was saying, you know, seed and venture capital don't usually come to to executive search because we're probably too too much of a service as they as they need at the time. But we, I work across the field, especially in consumer digital and media and entertainment. There's a lot of private companies that want to scale very quickly and need need be either the adult in the room. Or, or the person that's really taken a business and scaled it internationally. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we have one more question coming up out of many. So it's exciting that everybody's participating. Thanks a lot. Oh, this is for Sally. Uh, Diana in San Francisco wants to know, how should women use executive search efficiently and do they need to and why? I love this question, Diana, because it's one of my passions in life to help women, senior women in business. Um, Yes, they should use executive search and build relationships, as I said earlier, uh, you know, so that I can get to know your motivations and where you want to be. Go to the networking events that you that your trusted advisor that the, the um, executive search consultant puts on. And, and, you know, you have to play the game. You have to be out there, raise your profile. And women are notoriously bad at, at, at promoting themselves. And so go for it. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that is such good advice, Sally. I love it. And Diana, I hope you took that to heart. So Kirsten, you are generally as a um, operator in private companies, I would imagine. How long is your stay there normally? And do you stay to see the company go public if indeed it does? Give us a little bit of background on that idea. Yeah, I think it just depends on what I'm doing. I've, uh, I've worked anywhere from four months to a year at different companies. And um, I generally don't stay long enough to take it public. I go in, I fix something, I do something, I go on to the next thing, fix it, do it, go on to the next thing. Uh, but sometimes circle back around if something else breaks. I'm generally not getting calls to come in because things are going really well. Um, it's generally because something needs fixing. So. so Sally, uh, Sally and Kirsten, I know you probably both have opinions on this. And Sally, this might actually come from your earlier life as a uh, an attorney in a very large entertainment company. But uh, we're seeing a lot fewer companies list on international stock exchanges. Uh, what are your thoughts on that from the perspective of executive search and also private equity? Do you think that the ultimate gain is eventually to go public? Or are you seeing a lot of value being created before that happens? That's a very interesting question, Lorraine, because today I was having that conversation with someone that owns a private company and he said, I have no, no view to, to go public. I want to keep private company. I want to be the best at what we do and not have to worry about going public. So there's a lot of private companies that, that stay private on purpose by because they want to do what they want to do without having to get stakeholders involved or the public. Yeah, there's no doubt. Not only is it expensive, but it's also pretty onerous from the uh, regulatory standpoint. So I can understand that. Kirsten, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to exit these days. And we are seeing more and more companies um, staying private. Um, I mean, IPO is still one way to exit, but it's not the only way. Yeah, yeah. So we have another question. Let's hear from uh, someone from LinkedIn, Pam Koenig-Cohn. Hi, Pam. Kirsten, I've seen both VC and PE companies have a lot in-house expertise on operations, finance, M&E, et cetera. 
And do these firms also value experience in the branding and chief marketing officer role? What do you think, Kirsten? I, I think, Pam, it's a great question, and you're right. I, I The standard one's finance for sure, operations second probably, um, M&A, yes. Um, but I think there is a need for marketing, particularly for growth companies and for companies that are entering into new markets. Now, that's interesting. What um, One of the, uh, the areas that I'm really interested in is um, the consumer product, Sally, because I know that so much has changed in that. Are you looking at different kinds of talent from other industries now uh, to help those companies redesign themselves? Absolutely. And what's happened is that they're gone are the days where you just look in one industry for one type of, of candidate. So, for example, gaming, we're looking consumer products. Um, I was on the phone to someone who has a golf simulation uh, business today. They want to look at esports. It's it anything goes these days. And again, what I like to do is get the right culture fit. So you can have a track record, but they can really flourish if you get the culture fit, you know, just right. Yeah, that's a, the convergence issue we talked about. Certainly, I was in the telecommunications industry, and that was a huge issue. But actually, convergence is now across every industry. There are no parameters now that can prevent you from interconnecting industries of all kinds. Kirsten, do you have a thought on that? And I know we just have two or three minutes to the end of the show. I do have a thought on that. Um, as someone who's worked across various industries, what I find is that the business fundamentals and the leadership tenants are the same across multiple industries. So gone are the days where it's, uh, you know, you can only work at this company if you have this job experience. I think you can actually get more uh, and better ideas from cross-pollination coming from different industries. Now, I would agree with you, and I think that that's a tremendous opportunity for the audience who are watching. I mean, the, you can reskill yourself by taking what you already know and all of that incredible embedded knowledge that you have accumulated over the years and apply it to a different industry where you may be the innovator because folks haven't thought the way you are thinking. And I think that uh, as a last word for each one of you, how do you see the technology innovation changing the industry you're in. Sally, a quick word from you, and then we'll go to Kirsten. Well, technology is the, is the key to everything, but you still have to understand what the consumer wants. So to your point, you can come from any any uh, industry, but it's how you look at things and how you solve the, the consumer issues, which is what you know makes you, makes you stand apart from the rest. Terrific. Kirsten, 10 seconds, quickly. Technology, what's its impact? Digitalization, we're seeing a lot of it. Um, taking companies that were once, you know, paper and pen and digitizing things, making things more efficient. Um, it's having a big impact. Great. Ladies, you are tremendous. This was such a fun show. I loved it. Thank you so much. I wish we had another half an hour. We don't, but thank you to both of you. And I wanted to tell our audience that we have a very special show coming up on December 16th. We have the internationally known speaker and author, Sally Helgeson, who is going to join me one-on-one. -on -one. She is definitely a thought leader, and we're going to have a tremendous amount of interesting topics. So I hope you join us. It will be at 
1 p.m. Pacific, which is 3 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Eastern. And I look forward to seeing you then. And in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with one question. Have you ever used an executive search firm? And if not, why not? Remember to email me at our email at Exceptional Women Awardees. Go on to our site. We hope you join us. I apologize to those whose questions we didn't use. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Have a great month. Mm -hmm.